everyone, and welcome to Wildstorm Addiction. This is episode 33 for May 2012. I'm Joe David Solis. And I'm Ben Murphy. And this month we have a lot of stuff to talk about. <laughs> There's been a lot of activity in the DCU uh, with all the Wildstorm characters uh, coming out. So this month we will be discussing our normal titles, you know, Stormwatch number 8, Grifter number 8, and Voodoo number 8. Uh, as well as some other Wildstorm appearances in the new DCU 52, and uh, we are going to have lots and lots of spoilers, so <laughs> so be warned. Um, I thought we were going to make it through this episode without any news, but <laughs> there were some last-minute things that came out. A uh, big thing was, for us anyway, that uh, we finally got to see our first image of Zealot in the new 52, but instead of her appearing in Grifter, she's going to appear in Deathstroke, <laughs> which I thought was an interesting choice that Liefeld made. So, like I told Chris Stryker, I said, now he's going to force me to get Deathstroke now. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah, was that a, a creative choice, or was that a, hey, Jim, you want to make a few extra bucks? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, probably that one. <laughs> <laughs> Jerks, making us pick yeah. up another title. <laughs> also, uh, another significant thing was that uh, we had a couple of uh, Team 7 references dropped in two different other titles this month. Uh, one is in you know the big title that DC has, which is Justice League. It was in number 8, where it mentioned that Steve Trevor, Wonder Woman's on-again, off-again love interest, uh, was once part of Team 7. It was just a real quick throwaway line as he was part of a, a hearing that, you know, talking to the government about the Justice League, and they never mentioned it after that. And then... In Teen Titans number eight, we get another character, uh, which is Agent Kurt Lance, who apparently is Black Canary's husband, who in the New 52, and I don't know if this carried over from the old continuity, is supposed to be dead, because she's supposed to have been accused of his murder. So that uh, alone was supposed to be a big surprise. And he also mentions that he was part of Team 7 as well. So it's it's interesting that they're starting to, to name drop that team, so... We'll see where that goes, especially coming out of a big book like Justice League. So I'm pretty excited to see where that goes. And I want to see you know, which of the Wallstorm characters survived, if any, <laughs> they were part of Team 7. <laughs> but uh, And also, as we are um, recording this, I have to say it has been a nerdtastic weekend because <laughs> not only did we have the release of the Avengers, which was an awesome movie, by the way, uh, but we also had a free comic book day on Saturday. I picked up a few things and actually the, the, the DCU new 52 offering was, was pretty good. I mean, it had several actually relevant stories and you had some Jim Lee art that was pretty. So, <laughs> and also picked up the valiant one. I'm really excited to see that universe come back uh definitely if you guys aren't haven't listened to him you know the guys over at only the valiant podcast i'm sure are related because exo minor war number one just came out this past week but i won't get that till the end of the month because my end's on order so <laughs> what about you ben how did you enjoy free comic book day you know i i went out pretty early um you know our comic book shops in pittsburgh pretty much all owned by one guy and he does a great job and put out a lot of sales so I was able to get my current books and some bags and boards all for 33% off, which was great. So, you know, he does a good job driving traffic into the stores. And, you know, free, free comic book day, you know, there were people dressed up all over the city and, and having a good time. And because of the Avengers just opening up, you know, there was a lot going on. I think they even had a, a promo Avengers number one that was uh, branded 
for New Dimension Comics specifically. And they did a, a tie-in with um, the Pittsburgh Power, which is a, a local uh, arena football league that just started up uh, their season uh, yesterday. And it was a superhero day, and that was all run through New Dimension as well. So it was a fun day. There was a lot going on. I didn't get to go to the game, but I'm sure it was pretty cool to see a lot of people dressed up there. Yeah, no, it was a lot of fun. I mean, there wasn't as many people dressed up as I would have liked there to have been, because I did want to take some pictures, but... Uh... Uh, Lone Star's main shop in Arlington did have some guys dressed up as um, as uh, Mandalorians, and then one guy as Darth Vader. So that was pretty fun. All right, so that was the news. So thank you, Joe. Um, we're gonna jump right into the reviews because we have a lot to go over. Uh, I'm gonna kick it off with Stormwatch number eight, which was released on April fourth, written by Paul Jenkins with art by Daniel Horn and Ignacio Calero, and cover by Miguel Sepulveda. Um, so this is the second part of the uh, Gravity Miners small arc here. Um, it's quite dense. There's a, there's a lot of explanation of what's going on here. So let me just start by going into the recap, because the first couple pages is, is basically that. Um, the engineer is uh, just trying to regroup and, and kind of throw out there what, what's been going on uh, since the last issue and, and kind of get a, a handle on the situation. So um, they're in the ship, the Eye of the Storm, because the, the Eye of the Storm is Daemonite-controlled. Uh, the engineer is, is talking to that Daemonite consciousness, which she's named Charlie. They're having a battle of wits um, um, the gravity miners actually, as we uh, go into here, ravaged the, the Daemonite galaxy at one point in the past. Not even just the Daemonite world, but the entire galaxy that the Daemonites live in. So Ma- Martian Manhunter here is, is talking about where the gravity miners came from. And thousands of years ago, the Daemonites sent their drones to proliferate the galaxy to, you know, kind of rule the galaxy because that's seems to be their mo and they happen to uh run into these uh gravity miners i'm not going to go into the detail because it is crazy um his explanation about this but what's cool about his story as he's going through the explanation is at the end the engineer is trying to get information about the gravity miners that the daemonites would know about and specifically charlie since she can access him uh, directly. And basically, you see a, a representation of her squeezing Charlie's brain, so to speak, which is the Daemonite consciousness of the uh, Eye of the Storm ship, which is kind of funny. Um, and then we flip over to uh, Jack Hawksmore, and he's kind of... I don't exactly know what this room is, but it has a lot of screens on it, and you can see like television reports from across the world, and you see these little... Well, you read these little blips coming in from news sources about weird uh, gravitational phenomenon that seems to be happening throughout the world, which I thought was was pretty cool. And feel free to pipe in at any moment, Joe, because this was a dense issue, so if I miss something. <laughs> no, you just want me to attempt to uh, explain what the gravity <laughs> miners are like Martian Manhunter does, but I'm not going to do it because <laughs> that was way, I think somebody online said that was way too much Star Trek for me. <laughs> yeah, I, I tiptoed around that pretty quickly, if you didn't notice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
All right. So uh, Hawksmore reaches out to uh, Midnighter and uh, Jenny Quantum. They are kind of keeping an eye out down on the surface uh, where the uh, actual uh, gravity mile like uh, portal is. And, and basically Midnighter's like they're setting up an invasion point. And this is in Piprat and and they're at that that point within the city. Um, they're just keeping an eye on it for now. And, and Jenny's trying to see a pattern of what, you know, what they're doing to uh, set up their invasion point. And, you know, she has her thoughts on how to, how to fix it. But, you know, she's worried that she could basically implode the entire galaxy within 50 light years. So, so Midnighter thinks that's probably not a good idea. So they, <laughs> they try to come up with a new, uh, new plan of attack. And there is a, you know, right from this interaction with uh, Midnighter and Jenny Quantum, there's a really nice little uh, emotional point where Jenny realizes that uh, Midnighter has a uh, a connection with, with Apollo, like an emotional connection with Apollo, and she actually calls him out on it and is like, it's okay, I understand. I know that boys like boys. So I thought that was cute, that even at 12 she recognizes that. Yeah, and you forget to mention that they're they're having this conversation in the, in the middle of this maelstrom that that used to be the city, <laughs> right? Yeah. No big deal. They're kind of used to that kind of thing. <laughs> um, we go back to the engineer on the ship, and she is pulling off an access panel somewhere on the ship, and is saying that she's going old school and using a regular old soldering iron, which is part of her, which I thought was neat. And she's having a conversation with Charlie, the consciousness. And, you know, basically she threatens him and and he thinks it's funny because he's like, you can't really hurt me at all. And and what she does is basically, you know, instead of trying to pull the information directly out at him and, and he's like, you know, whatever you're doing right there with that access panel is not going to hurt me at all. And, and she's like, well, you know, you, you forget that. I actually found the information I want, and the information is that I know all of the Daemonite strongholds and coordinates throughout the galaxy, and basically I can feed that to the gravity miners and send them right to you. And then Charlie's like, oh, yeah, I'll comply, whatever you want. I'll, I'll give you that information. So he, he's... But, but not before he called her an abominate cow. Yes. <laughs> he's never willing to do anything, at least... Uh, <laughs> without being uh, begrudgingly uh, going to do it. Anyways, uh, yeah, and she's like, I figured you'd see it that way. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> so he talk, she talked him out of uh, the information that she wanted, which is basically all the information that the Daemonites know about the gravity miners, because they were, even though uh, the gravity miners ravaged all of the Daemonites' uh, worlds before, you know, they have a good pool of information about how to stop them. So that's that's basically what she was looking for. And obviously, Charlie didn't want to give that up because the Daemonites, you know, want to eradicate all of humanity. So the fact that the gravity miners were coming towards Earth was a good thing for, in, in Charlie's mind, he didn't really care. He was like, sweet, go at it. But the engineer turned that on him quickly. Uh, we go to the... Uh, the deck of the eye, eye of the storm and everybody is here obviously except for apollo and they're talking about how they're actually going to go in and extract apollo 
and Martian Manhunter was going to go down with Jenny and and pull him out, but the Midnighter uh, is able to talk himself into actually going with Jenny and said, you know, Martian Manhunter knows more about the gravity miners than anybody else in the room, and that if they fail, they're still going to need him and his information in order to stop the gravity miners. So the engineer, who is the acting team leader, is like, decisions made, Midnighter will go. So they send them down, and they're uh, watching the portal that's widening as the gravity miners are getting stronger and, and finding a hole to get into the into Earth, basically. And uh, Hawksmoor taps back into Piprat, the city's consciousness, and, and basically asks him for a favor in order to distract the gravity miners. And he himself was able to basically cause an outburst um, Cause the gravity miners to be confused uh, about their entry point, I, I assume, is what it was. And Midnighter has a... Uh, it's a gun, basically, that Martian Manhunter pulled out of their armory. Go figure. Um, I guess that's just because of the... <laughs> some of it's the em- always got to be a gun. <laughs> right. But um, I guess uh, Charlie gave them a tip on. Who knows how they found this gun, but they did. And he gave it to Midnighter, and basically they're... Yeah, I don't even know how I'm supposed to explain this, but they somehow go in a bubble, him and Jenny, uh, between 2D and 5D space um, to get into the place where the gravity miners are or whatever, where Apollo is being held. Um, And there is like a short leash, so to speak, uh, a cord uh, wrapped around them to keep them safe and they're able to get to Apollo and pull them into this this safe bubble and as uh, uh, Jenny Quantum is going outside of the bubble to plant the bomb to uh, implode the the gravity miners uh, that are there you know Midnighter's like I'm sorry Jenny and basically leaves her within that space uh, with the gravity miners and takes Apollo back to the to the ship for himself it was a very selfish uh dare i say dick move basically (laughs) leaving a 12 year old girl out in 5d space whatever that means either way it was still totally screwing her which was not cool and she even calls him out on it is this some some bloody joke (laughs) like sorry it's too dangerous you know you're too powerful you shouldn't be uh all of humanity and and the universe basically shouldn't be left up to a 12 year old girl uh who can on a whim you know, basically destroy everything if she has a bad bad day or or uh, somebody ticks her off or somebody is cruel to her for the first time or something like that. Yeah. So uh, Midnighter comes comes back into the eye of the storm on the deck and, and has Apollo in his arms and is like, you know, asking for uh, medical assistance immediately. And he's like trying to explain himself. He's like, I don't know what happened. You know, I just, you know, I, I couldn't, couldn't get jenny back whatever and, and engineers like um uh that's all well and good but uh jenny's been here since five minutes ago <laughs> so basically jenny planted the bomb and was able to get back before midnighter could even get back um and jenny doesn't look too happy about that <laughs> and so this is the part where they get to the debriefing and, and basically all the action is over and martian manhunter and the engineer kind of recapping with a cup of coffee for each of one of them or you know hot tea who who knows what's in it doesn't matter 
and engineers just asking him, you know, are we free and clear? You know, did did we basically take care of, of what we thought? And and Martian Manhunter's like, well, you know, time exists in all points in five space, so you know, the the gravity miners are always gonna be there. It's just, you know, when they may appear again. The engineer's like, you know, can we stop it? And and Martian Manhunter's like, no, we'll never be able to stop them. But for now, everything's in the clear. And then we go over to uh, the Midnighter who's checking in on Apollo in the medical bay. And Jenny's in the background and she looks sinister and pissed off due to the lighting. You know, her face is all dark. And she basically says to the Midnighter, she's like, you know, it's theoretically possible that I can turn you into a cockroach right now, right? <laughs> and he's like, why don't you? And and Midnighter asks, you know, do you know why I did it? And she's like, well, yeah, but it doesn't mean I have to agree with you. You know, you can't be worried that, you know, I'm going to turn on everything just, you know, due to my adjustment, you know, my emotions and everything like that. You know, he's not not the judge of her and he can't make the decision for her. She even uh, kind of teases him and it's like, you know, for example, I made a decision about you and you're not going to like it. And Midnighter's like, what? <laughs> she just uh, walks away and, and leaves him uh, questioning questioning her like, oh no, what did what did she, what decision did she make for him? And kind of leaves him hanging out there and she walks away with a smirk on her face and is like, booyah. <laughs> and that's basically the issue. You know, it was a really cool, very condensed, packed two-issue arc. And I thought it was great. And it'll be interesting to see where it yeah, Stormwatch takes over from now. Now that uh, Peter Milligan will be taking over um, in the next issue, and moving away from this this small little uh, this little arc here. What did you think, Jeff? Yeah, you know, well, see, that's that's the weird thing is because of when we're recording. You know, I don't, I don't know about you, but I've already read the, the Peter Mill- Milligan issue, <laughs> and I'm trying to. I did too, but <laughs> I'm trying to block it out of my head. You know, <laughs> trying to concentrate on this one. <laughs> but, <laughs> Let's work backwards. Let's talk about let's talk about how how uh, Midnighter's treatment of Jenny angered a lot of people online. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of the old fans didn't like that. I mean, I didn't. I, I thought it was a, a, a cool twist, but apparently, I was I was in the majority. Um, we literally had somebody. It wasn't on. It wasn't on the Wallstorm Addiction Twitter. It was on on my personal Twitter. I think Chris Stryker had forwarded to me. Where somebody made a comment about that the DC had killed everything they loved about Midnighter, including his love of kids, and I'm like, wow, <laughs> like, um, you know, that we're still stuck on the old, you know, well, this is not Midnighter. Well, it's not the old Midnighter, you know, and it, the, none of these characters are the old characters. And I mean, I know you, you know, people want to make the argument, well, this is what I loved about the old characters. Well, yeah. But those are the old characters. You're always going to love that about the Wildstorm Midnighter. But this Midnighter is different, you know. Um, <clears throat> obviously, you know, because they were like, "Well, that's his daughter." I'm like, "Not in this universe. She's not. <laughs> no, not at all." So, and you know, maybe they eventually get back to that point. But right now, you know, he doesn't know anything about her other than the fact that she can. You know, warp reality, like you said, if she gets, you know, angry or or whatever, and you know he wasn't willing to to do that, you know, and he's a killing machine, 
you know, obviously in the Wildstorm universe, things evolved differently to where, whatever for whatever reason, he never feared Jenny, as far as I knew, because I never read the the authority issues where Jenny was was growing up. I caught up later when she was already a teenager. So, to me, this just made sense. Now you never know. I mean, later on, all this. You know they could reconcile or something, but this this makes more sense as a beginning between the two of them because he totally is justified in being scared of her, you know. And I mean, Midnighter. I, I don't know. Some people, I guess, I, I've never seen him. You know, as um, as as completely a good guy. I guess you know, just like a lot of the other Wallstorm characters, he has kind of that gray area, and. Because the Wallstorm characters, you know, were never afraid to kill, and that was their answer. And of course, in the DCU, that's you know that can't that's not the answer for the DCU heroes. So, but that's what makes these characters different, and and I'm sure interesting for some people is that you know they've they've chosen to go this way. The, you know the, the the very thing that you know heroes like Batman have preached against for years. You know that he won't kill, and. You know, I don't know. It's just, it just makes sense to me. You know, and and to continue to say, well, this is not the old characters. Well, they're not, and they're never going to be. You know, unless some writer picks them up and just feels nostalgic and just changes everybody and makes them exactly like they were in the Wallstrom universe. You know, and that and that's that's the thing that <clears throat> I I I kind of don't want that because it's like you can't shoehorn shoehorn the old Wallstrom universe into this universe. You know, it's it's kind of like, you know, Chris Stryker and I were talking about this whole Team 7 thing. You know, you, in Wildstorm, that was like the genesis of everything. What it's going to be here in, in D.C., there's no telling. Right. So. I, did, I didn't even think about that until you brought that up, um, about Midnighter's relationship to Jenny. You know, in the old Wildstorm you, you know, Midnighter knew Jenny Sparks knew her as a grown woman, her powers, how powerful she was and, you know, the person that she was, that she was able to lay her life on the line to save everybody. And in the old authority, him and Apollo took it upon themselves to raise the next century baby, which was Jenny Quantum, you know, because they wanted to raise her to be the woman that she was hopefully going to become and they knew her power. So I, I always understood that as they wanted to raise her right so that she would never abuse her powers. Now, in the DCU, totally different. Midnighter wasn't even a part of Stormwatch or the Authority. He didn't even know any of these people. So he got pulled in and brought on board. He just saw Jenny as a huge you know, liability that she could, in an instant, rewrite all of history and all of the universes. And he didn't feel comfortable knowing that a 12 year old girl could handle that responsibility. And since compared to the Wildstorm universe, he didn't raise her. He didn't know anything about her. He was worried about that. And, and obviously it was self-conscious about his own power that he could do nothing about her and her abilities. So to me, and I didn't ever even like, I thought it was a dick move, but I never even thought about the old versus the new at that point because I was so... I, I'm used to knowing that this Midnighter is a different Midnighter already. Like, that thought hadn't even crossed my mind until you brought it up. 
Yeah, and I think it's that whole old versus the new. It's like eventually you're either going to accept that you you are following something new. And yeah, I mean, I don't, that doesn't mean that you're going to like it, of course. But, you know, you just can't continue to compare the old to the new. You know, yeah, if you miss the old Midnighter, I understand why. He's, a, he's another character. He's a different character. If you want to read about him, you know, pick up the, the, the Stormwatch hardcover that just came out. <laughs> And buy it off of our site. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's a beautiful cover, by the way. <laughs> um, anyway, and this the other the other th- highlight to the issue for me was the um, uh, the scene at the beginning where it showed, which it's still not clear if that's the if that's the Davonites or if it's their. Um, how did it state it? It's their minions, or I forgot how they said it. It's their ancestors, or something like that. Yeah, so I mean that they look more like the traditional Wildstorm Daemonites, which which would be interesting, you know, to see if they've evolved into what what we've seen in Grifter and Voodoo, and of course here in Stormwatch too. Um, you know, I just took that as a nice little homage to the Wildstorm universe. See, I don't my little homages, you know, but I don't have to have the <laughs> the Daemonites in this universe be exactly the same. But no, I just, I mean, yeah, it was just amazing. This little, two little arc, you know, uh, kind of was discussing a little bit with um, Sean over from Only the Valiant because he's all about, you know, uh, decompression in comics and, you know, not not liking it. You know, he, he, he likes stories like this, you know, where you can fit this really good epic story in just two issues, you know. You don't have to drag it out for six issues. When I told him about this one, he was really looking forward to reading. I don't know if he got a chance to, but but yeah, this is a rarity nowadays to to get such a good story in such a short amount of time. It fits in well with what uh, Paul Cornell did. It's still got that same sense of you know this this uh, thought provoking sci fi aspect to it. So still really enjoying that title. It's still the strongest out of all of them, obviously, as we've seen by the sales. <laughs> <laughs> and it makes you want to reread it, too, because there was so much packed into it that you're like, well, I had to have missed like 500 things here. Let me go back. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, But we'll go ahead and move on to the next one we have, which is uh, Grifter number 8, which was released on April the 11th. Uh, this was Nathan Edmondson's last issue that he wrote, and uh, it had a fill-in artist, uh, Daniel... Sampera, I think was his, how you pronounce his name, and the cover was still by Scott Clark. Uh, a lot of people have gotten very frustrated with this title. I know we have, <laughs> because it just seemed like uh, they had traded all action and no story, basically, is what it seemed to boil down to. I think you can kind of tell that uh, Nathan was told pretty late in the game that this would be his last issue because he really moves quick to wrap up a lot of stuff before he's off the title which is a shame because when we talked to him at uh, wizard world uh, in austin back in november you know the things he talked about was going to go way beyond issue eight there's you know but at the same time even after we talked to him it was interesting where it all went from there in the last few issues so you know, we get in real quick to, which I don't know if this is done deliberately, but I think you you mentioned something about that you were confused about the the whole starting off in a plane again that you thought it was a dream sequence, referencing issue one because that's oh. where we started. Yeah, yeah, we'll get into that. <laughs> <laughs> but 
but uh, after the after you mentioned that, I thought, well, that's a, a nice kind of juxtaposition. You know, he began and ended it, you know, on a plane. But yeah, they just quickly, you know, apparently him and um, uh, Sophia are on a plane. You know, they somehow he's reconnected with Sophia after, you know, battling Midnighter out in the Alps, or I think that's where they were. Himalayas, yeah. Himalayas, there you go. <laughs> Totally different mountain range. Yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> different continent. That, maybe no. it's not like they. It's not like we didn't have like three different titles to mention the Himalayas this past month. <laughs> That's okay. But <laughs> it's been a crazy month. Um, anyway, so they're on a plane and you know about to go to see. I'm gonna get this one right. They're about to go to Paris, <laughs> and a Damonite saboteur basically sacrifices himself and brings down the plane and after a spectacular crash Grifter somehow survives <laughs> of course he does <laughs> but Sophia doesn't there goes character number one that Nathan introduced and then this is where we get to the part of the issue which I actually enjoyed because this is what I wanted more of in the last few issues uh, you know we see well, of course we already knew that um the grifter's brother Max was still alive, but we hadn't even seen him make an appearance because he he'd been gone for several issues, and then we just saw a cameo of him last issue, and here he comes back and confronts Grifter, you know, possessed by a da- he's possessed by a demonite, and you know, there's this big battle between them and the demonites throughout the wreckage of the plane and going through Paris, and this is ex- this I would have been fine with this being the, the focus of the last few issues, you know, because uh, this whole brother versus brother thing could have made for some really good storytelling, you know, because we saw, I think it was an issue, was it four? Four or five uh, when his brother got killed and, you know, they they teased right away that the Daemonite possessed him. So I, I don't know why Nathan chose to leave that on the back burner for so long. Maybe... Again, because he thought he was going to stay on the title longer. Maybe this wasn't meant to wrap up so quick, but you do get the sense that this is being wrapped up very quickly <laughs> because, you know, we do have a very action packed battle between Grifter and the Daemonites through Paris. And of course, you know, appropriately, he ends up at the Eiffel Tower and, you know, begins scaling it with the Daemonites chasing after him and his brother right behind him as well. And meanwhile, Grifter's having all this inner dialogue about, you know, he he just basically can't believe it's gotten to this point of all the things the Daemonites have taken from him. You know, they've taken his brother now. You know, here at the very end, when they finally make it to the top of the Eiffel Tower, you know, him and his brother, you know, kind of, I don't know, have a moment to where finally his brother's real consciousness is able to break through and and talk to talk to Grifter and and he basically tells him it's you know there's no way to save him there's no way to to undo the the possession which is which is interesting because i think we talked about this before that for some reason when these demonites possess you it's like it's you're done you know there is no saving you at that point and that um that point is driven home here with his brother and um i mean basically at the end um after the the Daemonite who's possessed his brother is taunting him, you know, finally Grifter does what he has to do and ends up killing Max, which uh, 
you know, we're joking that I guess Max Cash's fate is to die in any universe he's a part of. <laughs> As we know, he died in the old Wallstorm universe, but he did last a lot longer in the old Wallstorm universe. He lasted a good 25 issues or so. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> I will say that after his brother is killed and, you know, he takes on the Daemonites, there is a beautiful double-page spread of Grifter sliding down the Eiffel Tower, shooting all the Daemonites. And um, uh, Dave over at uh, Clark's Bar, uh, he must have gotten the digital copy of this because I wanted to do this just for this image, but he, he beat me to it, to where he made it his wallpaper. <laughs> because it's just such a beautiful image. I mean, this this artist, even though he's a you know, fill-in artist, uh, I really did enjoy his art a lot. You know, it's not as dark and detailed as Scott Clark's, but but I, I really did enjoy it. And, and you know, this, this shot, obviously, he worked a lot on, and it's just, it's just a great little ender there, even though it was very fast-forwarded. <laughs> and then we get a... Uh, now, I gotta, now, I'm, now I'm subconscious about saying this word, because my friend was making fun of me the other day, because he says I can't say the word. It's epilogue. <laughs> <laughs> He said that the last podcast I said epilogue. Ah, you threw <laughs> in the extra eye. Yeah. <laughs> so he's going to get a kick out of that. But we have some Daemonites here that are discussing. Uh, they kind of give us a sense of what, why they have even allowed Grifter to to continue. I mean, obviously they've chased him and all that, but but apparently, which is not uncommon, I guess, for the Daemonites, the way that they've been portrayed in the past. But I guess it's true for for any uh, alien race that are like them, that are conquerors, that there's divisions amongst them. And apparently there's one uh, group of Daemonites that is against the Black Curate, and they're using Grifter because they want him to ultimately end up killing the Black Curate. So I don't know you know what all that entails but apparently that's that's what they finally reveal here at the end of the issue. And then we get a nice little thing that says next month we get Cheshire and Deathblow, which I am looking forward to that. So that's the last issue of Nathan Edmondson's Grifter. So I actually enjoyed it. I know you had a different opinion, Ben, so I'll let you share that. (laughs) Yeah, let's go back to the text that I sent you on April 12th. (laughs) Wow, this sounds like a court hearing now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm scared to read your review of Grifter this week, and if you gave it anything more than a six, we need to talk. (laughs) Yeah, that's what we're doing, yeah. So obviously Joe enjoyed this issue. But uh, basically, you know, you're right. It probably was, you know, given to him on very late notice that he was being pulled off the title and that he was trying to wrap up all the things, you know, Nathan was trying to wrap up all the ideas that he had about Grifter before somebody else took it over and more than likely changed the direction of this title. But yeah, just the fact that he started over again in the, in the plane sequence just bugged the heck out of me. It it drove me crazy. I really did think it was a dream sequence at first because that first four pages I was like, um, are we just rehashing what this title started out as? And I couldn't believe that it was true at first because Sophia died so quickly. I was like, wow, really? This is how this is going to be? And then it just jumped right into the storyline with Max Cash and his brother. It was like, Yes, obviously the Daemonites, you know, were setting him up and and had this 
attack planned ahead of time to be able to get to him so quickly. But I, I just I had a hard time believing all that that was true. Meanwhile, we're just speaking about comic books that are unbelievable to begin with, but still, <laughs> throw me a bone. Yeah, the the whole him surviving the plane crash, you know, old Wallstorm fans will remember during the Killer Instinct crossover with Cyberforce, there was an infamous scene where Grifter gets knocked knocked around and he actually is rolling down a hill and breaks his neck. And then somehow he just is okay after that. And they never, ever explain it again. I'm almost inclined to say that him surviving this plane crash is the DCU version of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I just... It, it bugged me. It bugged me really bad that this is the same kind of setup was was used to progress the storyline. It's almost like, you know, it's it's like the person getting hit by the bus or something on the street. Like, you know it's coming before it even happens, and then it happens. You're like, wow, really? They used that again? So, I, I don't know. It, it, until his brother showed up, I seriously thought, like, Sophia dying the whole thing was a dream. It didn't make any sense to me. So, whatever, I guess it was his quick way of just ending that character. And I guess the whoever's taken over the title, you know, Liefeld figured that he didn't need her. So, that was that was his way to end it quickly and get rid of her. I, I just figured they could have done it <laughs> somehow else. Whatever. Didn't matter to me. It's not like we were all totally invested in her. I know that you really liked her as a character. And she was cool. There was definitely more that we could have seen from her, but... Since he was juggling like two or three chicks on his own, I, I guess they needed to to weed out a few of them. Yeah, because I guess we can assume that Gretchen truly is dead now too, because I I don't see Liefeld <laughs> going back and using her. So right. Oh well. But yeah, I don't know. I I just we got to see some major turns in this title. I don't know where it's heading. I, I know that you're still enjoying it and on for ride but i've been up and down on this title since day one uh yeah i don't know what to say about it (laughs) (laughs) we have death blow and cheshire next month that's what you have to say (laughs) yes and let's hope that that is epic (laughs) yes because something needs to be thrown into this title to give it some life again i think it wasn't midnighter midnighter didn't do it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just, just happened to be a random fight in the Himalayas. Yep. Not the Appalachian Mountains. Wow. Taking notes. Whoa, 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 whoa. You went from the Alps, which is in Europe, <laughs> to the correct thing, the Himalayas in Asia. And now you went back to the Appalachians, which is in Pennsylvania. I'm like, hey, that's that's my neck of the woods. So. Well, see, you didn't know that that fight really happened where you are. So anyway, we're getting off course. Let's yeah, go on to Voodoo. <laughs> we really are. All right. Voodoo number eight, released on April 25th, written by Josh Williamson, with art by Sam Bosry, and cover by Rod Rice, Rice and Paulo Sequeira. Wow. Did I get that right? Probably not. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so last issue, I I was complaining about the cover, and I think you you didn't dig it that much as well either, right? No, not at all. I, I don't understand why they don't give interior artist Sammy Bosry a chance to do some covers. I think he did have a couple early on, but they scrapped them for whatever reason. Right. Uh, I would agree with you. This also, 
not my favorite compared to the covers that did originally come out. My one saving grace for this cover, though, is that it made me think of the Rat Fink cartoons. Do you know what that is? Of the what? <laughs> Rat Fink. I don't know. It was a, it was a type of cartoon. Uh, look it up, ratfink.org. You'll, you'll know exactly what I mean. For some reason, this triggered that in my head and made me think of that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Still don't think the cover is that great, but th- that's my only one saving grace is it just made me think of that. Whatever. <laughs> you need to put that on the Wallstorm notes. I guess I will. If you flip past the cover, however, you go into some epic art. Sammy Bosri is just crushing this title. I think I've already said that before. And the way that this issue starts is just awesome. You know, it, it, it starts with, and I, I don't know if this is the colorist or, you know, because he's the penciler. I don't know if he's doing all the inking and, and, and all the finishing, but they do a lot of really cool out of focus stuff uh, with the first couple panels as Priscilla Catane is, you know, feels like she's, you know, she says everything was a blur and it was like she almost passed out and she's trying to come back to consciousness, which isn't the case. But, you know, having Blackjack just completely murdered in front of her just threw her for a loop and, and she's trying to get her her wits back. And and the voodoo is actually yelling and screaming at both, both her and Agent Fallon like, you know, you make one more move, it'll be you. You know, don't make a move, it's going to be you. And she just keeps repeating herself, almost like she's uh, possessed. And well, that's kind of funny because she's <laughs> the whole demon I think. Um, and she's just she just keeps threatening them, don't move any closer. And she, as she's doing this, she's holding Blackjack's severed head in her hand um, the whole time. So yeah, Blackjack's dead. That wasn't a dream. Okay, just waiting to see if you're going to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, no it's just yeah sorry i was just enjoying the art here <laughs> uh, right as everybody should be um so really this this issue picks up right off where we left off you know at the the Damonite ship that was a, demolished by uh voodoo's explosion her bomb and fallon just goes right into it and is like i can't believe you you know you killed blackjack and she calls her a nasty name and there's only female characters now in this book wait not for long um and basically you know they're yelling at one another and and fallon is just completely thrown off that that she killed blackjack like that and voodoo you know was like hey he came after me i had to defend myself you saw what happened and and then we get into uh (laughs) fallon trying to turn turn the tables and um, kind of puts uh, Priscilla in a headlock, and and Priscilla's thrown off and is like, "Whoa, what are you doing?" And Fallon threatens to shoot her, knowing that Voodoo wants wants Priscilla to understand more about her past and how she was made, you know, by the Damonites and and the humans, I guess, at the same time since she is a clone. Fallon's like, you know, <laughs> just kind of snapping i guess at this point and priscilla is completely confused and then we pull back from that scene and we see two of the power rangers i mean uh 
two of the Black Rangers. Razors. Black Rangers. Okay, a little little side note. What makes that even funnier for me is that this weekend, one of my friends kept saying that as much as he enjoyed Avengers, he did think that Captain America looked like a Power Ranger. Nice. So. <laughs> nice. Anyway, continue. No, that's okay. Um, so basically, these two uh, Black Razors are, are looking at the fight that's going on below, and they just saw Blackjack just get killed by voodoo and they're like um what the heck to do now we better call this in so they call it in and you jump to uh andrew lincoln he's he's the head of the blackhawks the title that just ended this past month and you can see that you know this is the beginning point for his character in this title as he's moving out of blackhawks which ends and starts basically he, he was teased in the last issue or two. I can't even remember how long ago he was teased, but this is pretty much his introduction for good, I think, as he's going to take over his uh, his search with Voodoo. But we'll get into that later. And, you know, he basically picks up his calm as these uh, Black Razors are checking in with him, and he's like, Blackjack is what? As they tell him that Blackjack was just murdered by Voodoo. And he's like, I'm coming right there. Prepare for a fight. Yeah, it is going to be interesting to see if, if he brings the entire Blackhawks team down on her, because <laughs> he might have to. <laughs> yeah, he so might. They're not very well against her by themselves. <laughs> um, we're back to uh, the standoff, so to speak. And Agent Fallon whispers quickly in uh, Priscilla's ear and is like, play along, dummy. <laughs> Hands her a uh, detonator device if you pick up on that quickly and uh voodoo's like whatever i'm much stronger than than the person i was created from she's weak i don't need her and priscilla headbutts fallon and and breaks away from her and just flies away and and gets away and she's like i'm whatever fallon i'm done um and voodoo's like you should have listened to me fallon you know she wasn't the first this wasn't the first time that we were together and this this is where voodoo gets into the relationship that she has with Fallon and she talks about getting into her mind because Voodoo knew that she was being tracked a long time ago by Fallon. And, you know, now that we know that Voodoo's real power is getting into other people's minds and, and making them see what they want to see. And Voodoo was able to shapeshift into her, her partner, Agent Evans. Yeah. And they did have one steamy night as we saw um, in the past and Fallon's not playing along with this. And Voodoo in the present actually um, shifts into Agent Evans. Either she shifts into it or... No, she does. She shifts into Agent Evans' um, character and his look and feel. And they keep going back and forth. And, and, and she actually realizes... And actually... Oh, man. How am I going to explain this? Um, so during this brief discussion... Priscilla actually, when she flew away, still must be within earshot because she hears Agent Fallon realize that um, that Voodoo murdered him, Agent Evans, and it wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't nothing to her. I'm doing a terrible job of this. <laughs> yeah. No, you're fine. I mean, it's basically what you're saying. She just. She's kind of, I mean, she's taunting her is what she's doing, you know. Right. Using the fact that she actually liked the dude, so. <laughs> right, and 
Priscilla must have heard this conversation because she realizes that you know, Fallon wasn't lying to her. She she was telling the truth about what happened in the past. Um, and this is what gets weird because Fallon lets down her guard for a snap second and gets really close to Voodoo, who has shifted into Asian Evans. And they're within touching distance, and Voodoo actually goes out to like stroke her cheek, and Agent Fallon like smacks it away. And then we get to the next panel, which is on the next page, a full cover spread, and Voodoo has shifted her arm into like a spike, almost like a claw, a Damonite claw, and right through the gut, and it has killed Agent Fallon. And Voodoo's like, has turned any sense of humanity that she may have had has just turned it off and it was like it meant nothing and basically turns her attention and is like now where's my original runoff to and she's like more concerned about priscilla at this point and this is where priscilla comes back she's like no i can't believe it and she slashes at voodoo who just faints easily and is like what a joke and, and realizes how much how superior Voodoo is because she's easily able to elude her, her slashes and her attacks saying how slow that Priscilla is. Second character gone. Boom. Actually, this is like the third or fourth major character from this title to just be gone. Um, so a, a lot of what uh, Ron Mars has, has done for this title is just completely eradicated at this point. Um, See, uh, somebody was mentioning that and I told him I didn't think Agent Fallon was dead. But now that I see the image again, I'm like, okay, well, maybe she is. <laughs> yeah, trust me, she's dead. <laughs> of course, you know, for those who are reading the Batman title, you know, something similar happened to Batman a few issues ago, and he's fine. So, <laughs> almost as dramatic as this. <laughs> Don't give me the argument that he's Batman. <laughs> no, because that is the argument, because he is, he is like one of the characters in the DCU, and I would say that Agent Fallon would be Pretty low on the totem pole. <laughs> Anyways, as Priscilla is trying to get to the, to Voodoo, um, she actually is able to do a, a small little scratch on her cheek, and and Voodoo is kind of impressed with that. But uh, Priscilla is like, "Well, that's that's not all I did." And she had actually planted that little detonator on Voodoo's chest without even knowing about it. And, right in between her boobs. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to go down that path like we did. <laughs> we already had that episode. <laughs> yes, we did. Um, and basically, this thing goes off immediately and, and puts Voodoo down. Now, it's not like an it's not a big explosion. It's it's more like an electrical explosion. And we do know that Voodoo had her abilities are technology based, which there's actually a really cool uh, scene whenever she is uh, morphing back. You can see it in that same panel where Fallon dies, where she's morphing back from Agent Evans into Voodoo's traditional human form, where you see, like, her face kind of, like, pixelated or tessellated, like, digitally. It looks pretty rad. Uh, and so Priscilla is standing over uh, Voodoo's body uh, that's, that's kind of uh, smoldering after the thing detonated. And she's like, now you're going to tell me exactly what's going on, Voodoo. And Voodoo starts to stagger up, and she's like, well, I was just about to show you, as if that was going to be the case. But she stands up and now transforms into Priscilla. So now we have two chicks in white tank tops and white pants 
staring at one another. I think we've ran across this a couple of times before. I think she morphed into Agent Fallon at once to uh, get away. Um, so now we have that age-old clone issue once again. I hope this title doesn't continue along this path too much longer. Um, and basically what gets explained here is Voodoo is, you know, she was going to kill her to get to get rid of her, but now she's more intrigued than anything and, and is going to let Priscilla live so that she can uh, learn more, more about herself. I, I guess that... At first, when she was uh, with Fallon, she was like, it's not worth my time. I'll just kill them all and deal with it later. But now now she actually wants to keep her around. They talk about feelings a little bit here. And Viru talks about the coldness that she feels. And she thought that that coldness was from the Daemonites. But she actually thinks that coldness that is built into her is actually from Priscilla herself. That she she gained that that cold-heartedness from Priscilla, not from the Daemonites whenever she was being cloned. And, and Priscilla doesn't want to believe that. And she's and Voodoo's like, well, there's only one way to find out, and that's to join me. And, and obviously, Priscilla's the good one here, and is like, um, yeah, right. And at this point, this is when the Blackhawks make their move, and they come flying in. All the Power Rangers are present here. I think there's a one, two, three. There's a lot of Power Rangers, more than I can count here. Um, (laughs) And they come out of a rocket ship, too. I just noticed that it's not like a ship. Nope. It's a rocket. (laughs) Like Flash Gordon style. (laughs) High high on the cheese factor here. Um, (laughs) So they come swooping in, and, and Lincoln is leading the team, and they're like, you know, kill Voodoo and capture Priscilla. Voodoo is extremely dangerous and, and she won't hesitate, so take her out. And the Black Razors down on the ground are like, well, which one? And and he's like, are you kidding me? Go after them both. You'll find out quickly who who's who. Well, immediately, Voodoo slashes off uh, a few Razors' visors and, and kills them and quickly flies off and is like, you won't take me, Razors, and, and immediately flees. And Priscilla couldn't even take two steps before uh, being caught and and trapped by the Black Razors. And, and and she's, like, yelling and just, like, go after her. Please stop her. And Lincoln's like, well, the other one's definitely Voodoo. Go after her. Shoot to kill. And and they go after her. And they, they run after her into nearby woods, I guess, which is... Weird, because I thought the Daemonite ship was originally in a desert. Is that not the case? Anyways. Yeah, I don't remember. <laughs> it, could, <laughs> it was it so could, many issues ago. So Yeah, it could have been a forest area, but I'm sure the explosion took out a lot of stuff. So, <laughs> yeah. so the Razors go after her in this wooded area, and they quickly lose her, and you see a, uh, a bird fly away, and they're like, we lost her, sir. So I don't know if she morphed into a bird. That would be pretty impressive. We don't. No, how? Oh, what color is the bird? Yeah, it's purple. I guess that's yeah. purple. that's lame, but whatever. And she just morph into like a stapler or something. I don't know if it has to be a living. Into a what? A stapler. <laughs> that's what I thought you said. <laughs> In the middle of the forest. I guess. I guess she can't morph into an inanimate object. It has to be a something. A tree. Black- it could have been a tree. No, it's got to yeah. be a. Have if a consciousness. The Razors couldn't find her. 
if you morph into a stapler in the middle of a forest, we got some problems with the black racers. <laughs> it makes sense. A bird, she can fly away quickly. All right, I'll give it to him. Anyway, uh, they get back to Priscilla, and she's like, I can't believe you guys let her let her get away again. And she, she's like, no more tests. And she's ticked that she got caught by the black razors, and she starts punching people. And then somebody calls out, Priscilla, stop. And, and it's Lincoln, and he's he's walking over to her. And uh, and he's like, you know, I don't, you don't trust us. We get it. It's, you know, he doesn't even trust them at this point after what happened to him in Blackhawks Eight. Um, and he explains there, you know, he's he's not trying to arrest her. He's not trying to trap her again and do tests on her like they did in the past. And he puts out his hand to her and's like, you know, I'm offering you a job. So, I guess. Priscilla is going to become an agent next and, and help to go after Vidya. Wow. That took longer than I wanted it to take. <laughs> yeah, well, it actually was a, a pretty good issue. At least I liked it. I mean, it seemed like you liked it. I didn't. <laughs> I did like this issue, actually. Um, I, I, Vidya has actually been pretty cool uh, the last couple issues. You know, Grifter, as we've talked, has slipped to my number three. And has stayed down there for a long time. And I do like where Voodoo is going, and I'm much rather would like to read this title at this point. Um, because I, I like where it's going. You know, I I like this Damonite tie better than Grifter, who's just all over the place, and there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to it. It's just having epic battles here and there uh, with no stop in sight. And at least Voodoo has stayed within one location for the most part for the last couple of issues and has really fleshed out, you know, what's going on and, and the dynamic between all the characters involved. Now there's obviously going to be some new dynamics because two of the main characters just got whacked um, within two, two of the last issues. But uh, nobody's safe in this title, apparently. Uh, we'll see uh, see where it goes from here. I'm I'm definitely enjoying it. Yeah, yeah, no, me too. And I mean, it it just it, it's just gotten really good. I think real quick shout out to Sammy Bosri because he's he's been on every issue since number one, and according to the solicit for number nine, he's set to be on that one too. And there's very few artists in the New Fifty Two have who have had that consistency. I, the only one that comes to mind right away that I'm following, you know, because I'm actually not following everything, but I know Brett Booth over at Teen Titans, has done every issue except for the last one, but he did do the annual, which to me, he's still consistent. So, But yeah, Sammy Vosri, really, uh, you know, uh, obviously he'll have to leave the title eventually. I'd be curious to see where they put him when he does, because he's definitely a great artist. But uh, I don't really have too much to say about that issue. We probably should move on, because we, we still have three more issues to cover. <laughs> so... Let's make these ones brief. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you guys hope you're reading Voodoo because it is really good right now and it's about to get crazier according to some of the solicits we've seen. <laughs> so these next couple, you know, are issues that we don't normally really talk about, but we felt that, you know, there was some significant things that happened here. So we're not so much gonna review the way we normally do we're going to go you know beat per beat and tell you everything that happened we'll kind of just i'll give you a summary and then we'll just talk about you know how we thought of the issue because we did have some major wildstorm characters introduced here 
Um, so we're going to talk about real quick about Superboy number eight, which was released on April 11th, written by Scott Lobdell and Tom DeFalco, with art by R.B. Silva and cover by Barbara Ciardo. And this issue is a prelude issued to the big Teen Titans Legion Lost crossover that's already started here in May called The Culling, which for all intents and purposes, from what I've read so far, it's the Hunger Games of superheroes. <laughs> and uh, I actually picked up on that in this issue even before I, I read the newer ones, but that's pretty much what it is. And in that respect, I was able to accept the way that they're introducing some of these Wildstorm characters better than I originally conceived, because here we get the first appearance of grunge in the DCU. And, you know, people are starting to joke that Superboy is turning into Superboy versus the Wildstorm characters. <laughs> and it kind of is, but when we saw the explanation later, the fact that the villain for the culling is a, is a villain called Harvest, and he's basically collecting metahumans, and he's focusing on the on young metahumans, like teenagers, he's basically putting them into his own little Hunger Games, you know, he calls it the culling, and they gotta fight each other to the death, and uh, the way it seems to read is that he he wants to control the few powerful ones and allow them to get rid of all the weaker ones to kind of dwindle down the metahuman population. So Grunge, as he's fighting Superboy, is basically sharing all this to Superboy and sharing that, you know, that uh, that that's, that's what he's doing, that he's here to, to see if Superboy can even handle the culling. And overall, I really enjoyed the fight that these two have because this is Grunge versus Superboy, you know, and never would have thought that these two would ever fight. I don't think they ever fought in the old continuity. And this Grunge, he's obviously a lot different than the other interpretation but you know we know nothing about this grunge other than he's got the same look and the same powers but he has been uh augmented by harvest to where he he can use his powers without having to touch things because for those who don't know which we assume if you listen to our podcast you know grunge <laughs> you know you basically touch anything and take on its properties apparently harvest inputted these devices into grunge throughout his body to where he could pick and choose what elements he wants to uh, mimic. Like, throughout the fight, he mimics rock and metal, and I, I forgot which other one's here, but, you know, he, he gives Superboy a run for his money. And also, one of the reasons he's able to hold his own against Superboy so well is apparently he's designed to be... Um, uh, what's it called? Immune to Superboy's telekinesis, just like Fairchild was. So that's the only reason that Grunge is able to really hold his own against Superboy. <laughs> Speaking of Fairchild, we get a quick glimpse of her in this issue just to kind of remind us that she hasn't gone anywhere. But yeah, by the end of the issue, you know, Superboy finally gets uh, smart and uses his telekinesis to cause the devices in Grunge's body. He basically expunges them. So it's a very painful... <laughs> painful looking scene when all these little devices just burst out of grunge in different areas of his body and he falls down in this pool of blood and I'm hoping that that's not the last time we see grunge I hope that's not enough to kill him you know but this was a very unexpected use of this character and very kind of a dark interpretation of grunge 
as the more we're getting into the culling, you know, which we'll talk about more next month. Like I said, just like the Hunger Games, I mean, it's a very dark concept. You know, the people are dying and whatnot. So I I can see why he's not the fun-loving grunge from the, of old. You know, it's one of those things. You know, where we could get back to that after the fact, but who knows? First of all, we gotta let grunge heal from this pretty intense battle. What did you think, Ben? <laughs> yeah, I thought it was interesting. You know, people thought it was like the Hunger Games. Well, I just recently reread uh, Countdown Arena because there was you know, Wildstorm tie-ins to that. And it made me think of that because, you know, they were all fighting, you know, different versions of each other. You know, it was pretty brutal in, in in nature as far as how the the fighting and the killing went down. So that's what it kind of reminded me of just because I happened to have been rereading that. But, um, yeah, Grunge's powers are a little different, you know, because they were implanted into this version of him. And the Wildstorm version, you know, when he did touch something, you know, his whole body kind of overtook that property. And, and here it was interesting because for the most part, you just see it happen to, like, his arms and his uh, his feet. But most of his, you know, his torso and his face never, never morphs or changes. And it's funny that you mentioned, you know, Grifter breaking his neck in the old... Wildstorm U, because in this issue you see uh, Superboy uh, kick Grunge in the side of the head and break his neck, and he just gets back up and snaps his head back on like it was nothing. So I thought that was that was kind of funny as well. Um, no, I'm really looking forward to this big crossover. Uh, yeah, I never would have probably picked up these books had there not been so many Wildstorm sightings in them, but it, they're really well done, and I like how they're all tying into one another. The month of May is going to be uh, pretty cool with all these uh, titles coming out and, and coming together for this, this one big crossover. I'm looking forward to it. So uh, we've kind of been putting off these next tier reviews so uh, because we were going to have a, a special guest on. However, we weren't able to make that happen once again. But we wanted to talk about briefly Superman 7 and 8, which were released on March 28th and April 25th, respectively. Um, and they were both written by Keith Giffen and art by Dan Jurgens and covered by Ian Rees. So these two titles are basically the introduction of Hellspont into the DCU. And Hellspont was basically the main badass uh, Damonite in the Wildstorm universe and from the beginning, really. Um, there was a big, epic uh, Wildstorm Rises crossover. Wow, what was that? 1993 or 94? Was it 90s? No, that's Far From Heaven was 96. So this one had to have been 94, 93, somewhere around there. Yeah. Just go yeah, to our Wildstorm which, Resource Week and look it up. It's all there. Yeah. <laughs> so it was pretty early on, and he, he was you know the main pivotal character in, in that. So to see uh, Hellspawn being brought into the DCU is really exciting. Really not going to go over too much in these these titles because unfortunately I was hoping that Chris would take care of it because um, I haven't really been following Superman at all in all his titles. You haven't been missing much. <laughs> I, yeah, that's that's what it seems like. And, and that's and Chris would would tell you that because I've listened to their podcast and their reviews of it. <laughs> you know, for the most part, all of issue seven. Doesn't really deal with uh, Hellspawn at all. He's fighting some other character in in Metropolis, I guess, and all of a sudden he gets uh, he gets teleported into the Himalayas and and is just out there in the cold. And he sees this cave and and 
and <laughs> basically talking to himself and was like, wow, somebody went to a lot of trouble to get me out here. Um, so he decides to go into this cave, which is actually a, a whole world in and of itself. And it's, it's quite the dwelling and, and the hell spawns in there. And, and, uh, he basically, he's a talker. I'll tell you what, you know, he, he really likes to talk to, <laughs> you noticed that, did you? <laughs> <laughs> if you've ever seen the old Wildstorm cartoon, you know, I, you kind of have to put that voice in, in your head, in your mindset, whenever you're reading, uh, Hellspawn, because it, it just makes it very funny. <laughs> but he has a lot to say, and I can't even really tell you what he says, because I didn't really care to reread it, because it's not all that great. <laughs> <laughs> For the most part, he's basically telling Superman that uh, that they're the same, and that you know he's he shouldn't be protecting these people who should be ruling them, you know, and that the Daemonites cast him out because they saw how good he was. And of course, Superman's not buying it. So uh, that's the gist of it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let's jump into issue number eight, which also doesn't start until about halfway through. And yeah, it jumps to the Himalayas because he was having some weird, uh, so this issue starts with him, it's not a dream sequence per se, but he's imagining this this thing that's happening to himself. And anyways, he, he comes out of it, and I guess uh, Hellspont had planted something into into Superman just because he was, you know, he implanted this into him to, to break him down and, and understand more about him. I guess the gist of this issue was just that Hellspont is trying to seduce Superman to join him to help rule earth because he basically can he's like son of you know krypton you know if you want to rule this this unit this world you can have it it's yours because hellspawn wants to rule the universe and he'll give him earth as long as he he agrees to be on his side and he'll leave earth alone um just as long as he he lets hellspawn take over the universe that's that's the basic gist i got about out of it was that basically it and then they fought because <laughs> Superman wasn't playing that game, I guess. Yeah, but Superman was willing to listen a lot longer than most people would have. Because, <laughs> I mean, he, at the end of issue seven, Hellspawn blasts Superman. Yeah. And at that point, Superman shouldn't have been willing to listen anymore. <laughs> <laughs> You know, that was the only thing that got me about these two issues. Because 7 was fine. I mean, I would have liked for it to have been more focused on them. But but then we get into issue 8, and they wants to talk some more. And I'm like, the dude just shot you in the chest. (laughs) Why are we still talking? (laughs) I told you, Hellspawn likes to talk. (laughs) He's the epitome of the, the, the bad guy in any comic book. He just... Just keeps talking yeah, and no. talking, and actually, there's a joke in the in number eight about Superman being like, "Wow, is he really gonna talk and let me uh, kind of sideswipe him?" At this? <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I get the whole monologue, and it's a classic villain thing. You know, it's fine, but he just shot you in the chest. Why are you still talking to him? <laughs> you know. Right. And then I don't even know what Superman did at the end. Uh, that was one of the things that kind of confusing panel. I, I assume it looks like he flies through the entire mountain and explodes it, <laughs> but I couldn't tell for sure. And of course, you know, Hellspawn gets away, but 
I mean, it was cool to see that. Obviously, you know, they're they're pretty they're they're a good matchup. You know, one of my friends was upset because he's a big Superman fan, and he was like, he was like, so what? Just because Superman uh, get or just because Hellspot, you know, shoots Superman, you know, now he's more powerful than Darkseid. I'm like, no, nobody said that, you know, but he's obviously able to go toe to toe with Superman. Doesn't necessarily mean he's going to win, but. You know, I think he gives Superman at least a good fight, better than some of his other adversaries. <laughs> so we've seen DC try to uh, tie Superman into Wildstorm-related stuff ever since the beginning of the 52. And I love Hellspawn. You know that, because I use his character as like my icon online for the most part, because I just think he's epically hilarious from the Wildstorm universe version he just uh, he, he, he is the epitome of the the goofy powerful evil person and he just like cackles and laughs about everything in that evil way <laughs> and plus he is a cool looking character of a, a skull that's on fire in that that cool blue daemonite way and and he does not look like any of the new Damonites, which is great. I'm glad that they kept his classic look. But yeah, they tried to do this big tie-in in April with you know Superman seven and eight and the Stormwatch title and the Grifter title, and it just I don't know. It fell flat for me. It just it wasn't worth it. I think they're trying to boost Superman's sales. I think because it it is not the good one apparently because it seems like Action Comics is. The one that everybody is digging at this point. Yeah, but I mean, I did, I did see some positive reviews of these issues that you know people enjoyed them a lot more than the previous six. So, so they were happy to see you know Superman going against somebody who was more powerful, or I mean, not more powerful, but you know, a good adversary basically. So, not to say that he'll ever show up again unless another writer, because apparently. According to writer Keith Giffen, you know, that was mandated to him that Hellspot be in, in these issues. <laughs> so, but like he said in an interview, he knew that it, they were just basically putting Hellspot into a bigger spotlight, which is Superman. So, if you're going to introduce Hellspot, uh, might as well do it big. Um, other than that, you know, the only other Wildstorm sightings we had or tie ins were what we already talked about, which is Justice League number eight and Teen Titans number eight. Uh, which were the Team 7 references, so I don't uh, think that we really had anything else other than this, obviously, right? Nope, and uh, yeah, you already mentioned uh, Caitlin Fairchild showing up in Superboy number 8, so I think uh, we're good. Alright, you want to share with us what's coming up this month? Some of the stuff we've already started reading, obviously, but we'll go over it anyway. (laughs) Yeah, so we're already a week behind uh, because we had some things that we had to do. So we've already read Stormwatch number 9, at least I have, I'm and you've already reviewed it. So May 2nd, Stormwatch number 9 comes out. And Teen Titans Annual number 1, which is the the main part of the Culling crossover starting. The last couple issues of Superboy and, and Legion Lost and Teen Titans were the prelude to this to this arc starting. Um, and May is, is gearing up to be a big month overall for, for not only the Wildstorm-related titles, but all of the 52, because... As you read these the first week's issues, you know I see ads. There was a lot of ads in all the issues, um, speaking to the second wave of the DCU 52. A lot of new titles starting up. 
May 9th, Grifter number 9 comes out, and that's Rob Liefeld's first issue. Uh, Superboy number 9 comes out, and this is Warblade's first appearance as um, this is the continuation of the Cullen crossover. Yeah, actually, he, he his first appearance was in that Teen Titans annual, which I didn't realize that, but he showed up in there beautifully drawn by Brett Booth. You're right. Sorry, I shouldn't have said first appearance. A Warblade appearance. That's <laughs> <laughs> cool. I didn't, I didn't know it either, so it was a nice surprise. <laughs> yeah. um, and Legion Lost number 9 comes out on May 9th as well, which is also part of the Calling crossover. Um, May 23rd, Voodoo number 9 comes out, and Teen Titans number 9 comes out as well, which is also part of the Calling crossover. Have you gotten the idea that May is the Calling crossover? Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so, to wrap up May, May is a, uh, a four-week month for comics, which is awesome, is May 30th, and that is the Ravagers number one, which starts out, and that is the spinoff that comes out of the whole Cullen crossover, and that will be a new team book that has Caitlin Fairchild as being an integral part of. Not quite sure if she's uh, leading that group, but the way that the first cover looks that will probably be the case since she's front and center. I think we're both looking forward to that. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, and remember that all these books are available digitally either through DC Comics website. I think they actually just put out a new app that I haven't gotten a chance to look at yet. But they're also available on comicsology.com day and date every Wednesday. All right, just a couple of quick shout-outs. Uh, be sure and check out Chris Steiker's Stormwatch site, which is uh, stormwatch.ws. There's no www. And remember to visit the Higher Authorities message boards, which is Clark's Bar, to continue to discuss the Wildstorm's integration in the new 52, amongst other wild, long Wildstorm fans. Uh, that's the authority.ws. And... Um, <clears throat> Yeah, because these guys have been really good about keeping us up on everything because obviously we can't follow every single thing. So uh, so thanks a lot to all, all the guys at Clark's Bar, like uh, Dave and, and Ray and, of course, Chris himself. So uh, Also, if you guys want to contact us, you can catch me on Twitter at uh, twitter.com backslash grifter78. Or you can look both me and Ben up at the Wallstorm Resource Wiki. Uh, ben is yo-yo master 146 and that's wildstormresource.wetpaint.com. Uh, we can also follow us at uh, twitter.com backslash wildstormaddict, or email us at wildstormaddiction at gmail.com, or look us up on Facebook or our Google Plus page. All right, we made it, Ben. So <laughs> uh, I'll be quiet to wrap it up so you can start editing. <laughs> yeah, thanks. It's going to take me a while. That was a long episode. But there was a lot to say, and we reviewed a lot of stuff. I don't expect June to be any shorter because we'll have all those uh, calling crossover titles to talk about. So it's a good time to be a Wildstorm fan, and we're well beyond halfway through the new DCU 52, and it's been pretty awesome. And we keep getting to see new characters pop up from Wildstorm each and every month, and we have some awesome ones coming up soon so look forward to seeing those and thank you guys for listening look forward to uh hearing from you guys over and out
probably finish that better if you want to say something. <laughs> <laughs> no, we need to end this already. <laughs> I feel bad for you already. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to get rid of like all of the Stormwatch review or the Grifter review. I'll just take out the whole chunk. <laughs> and Stormwatch came out. And then Grifter. And then Voodoo. Okay, thanks for listening, y'all. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs>